I gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. Today, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from Fortnite, the help of our special guest, VP, and head of content at Greenslate. Chris Anderson. Chris, how are you? I'm good. Good to be here. Excited to have you on the show today. Talk marketing, talk content. And I would say, why the heck did you choose Fortnite? But did the people truly choose Fortnite? They did with a little bit of motivation, I think. (laughs) But they did. The people chose Fortnite on a a LinkedIn poll because I couldn't decide between Fortnite and and Squid Game. It was was too difficult a a decision. But I'm very happy with the result because there is a ton to talk about with Fortnite. Yeah, why the heck did you choose Fortnite? Uh, a couple of reasons. So I'm I'm a gamer, and in, in looking at Remarkable in the podcast, didn't see a lot of games on there. So I figured it would be a good opportunity to get some gaming representation on the podcast. Look at my history of gaming, and and you know I worked in esports for a bit doing content and Fortnite as a kind of an analogy to B2B content. They they're doing a lot of things that are really interesting, and there's quite a few lessons within how they built the game, how they structure it, how they promote it content, the players, the audiences that are pretty transferable, potentially over to a, a B2B audience and what folks can learn. I couldn't agree more and I'm super excited to dig in. But before we do, tell us a little bit about your role at Greenslate. Sure. So I am VP Head of Content at Greenslate. And Greenslate is, the best way to describe it, a production payroll company. So whenever a TV, film, podcast studio, what have you, are doing a production, they need to have a payroll provider. It, it's re- basically a requirement of, of unions to have a separate payroll system aside from like the studio for you know degrees of fairness. They want to make sure that people get paid on time. So because of that, you, know, you have companies like Greenslate, Entertainment Partners, Cast and Crew, who fill that niche. And my role within this is to produce content for production accountants, for finance executives. So I do, I do a lot of different things. We do content across the board, you know, LinkedIn on social. I write articles. I do, you know, we got project management. Anything that touches content is, is basically my remit. And I can tell you with acute pain that it is extremely critical that you find the right partner for this because those type of productions, you know, everybody obviously needs to get paid and everybody needs to get paid on time, but they're incredibly complex. It turns out arguably. I agree. The productions, productions are complex. Are complex. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
and and thank goodness that the green slate exists. All right, Meredith, what the heck is Fortnite? So Fortnite's an online video game, but it is so much more than that. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire. So it's basically like the merging of a construction game like Minecraft with a shooter game kind of like Gears of War. It was launched by Epic Games in 2017, and now it has six game modes, and they just released a new one that's a Lego version of Fortnite. The kind of like the biggest three, I would say, are Fortnite Save the World, and that's where players work together to survive against the zombie apocalypse. Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, because I have not played. I will correct uh, you then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. It's it's the Battle Royale game mode. That's the big one right now. Save the World was the first one that kicked off, and actually what they were intending to be the big one, but then they saw PUBG, which was like the first Battle Royale to really like get out there, and they're like, oh, mm, you know, I wonder, I think this might be a good thing. So they built their own Battle Royale, and that's what exploded Fortnite. Awesome. And Battle Royale is like PvP, like player versus player, right? And it's like up to 100 players. Is that correct? That's right. right. Cool, cool. That one sounds super exciting. And is it like 30-minute like battles? Is that correct, too? So it's not dependent on time. I will Mm -hmm. say that it will end at a certain time because it drops 100 people into basically a giant arena. And then the walls of the arena continuously close in. So as you get eliminated, that gets down to the final two, and then the last person wins. So however long that takes is basically how long it lasts. But you know, there's only a set amount of time until it finally just closes in on everybody at the end. Got it. Got it. See what I mean? It's so much bigger, so much bigger, <laughs> and more complex than a simple like online video game, right? And then there was another one called Fortnite Creative. They consider that like a a sandbox game. You have a lot of freedom as to what to do. So you can explore, create your own buildings. You can play mini games. And then there's also Lego Fortnite, which I mentioned, I believe is a new one. There's Rocket Racing. There's Fortnite Festival. So you have lots of different options for like your sort of mode of gameplay. So one thing I thought was cool is Fortnite actually started, I believe, as like you'd have to pay 40 bucks to be able to play. And that sort of opened up, you know, gameplay to you. But then they decided to make it free, which was considered like more risky. But that's kind of like when it took off. Now there's there is in-game currency, so it is obviously making money, and the in-game currency are called V-Bucks. So you can earn those through gameplay, or you can purchase some with real money. And then those V-Bucks can be used to get outfits for your characters called skins, weapons, emotes, which are like dances and gestures. battle passes and more what's your favorite skin chris Uh, i was telling meredith before we started the podcast i do enjoy the alien from the aliens movie so i I, I was gonna say predator yeah i I, you were close though you were close i i did pay for the alien skin i have the indiana jones one i I 
quite like that. There's so many. I mean, basically any pop culture character that like you think is cool, you can probably find it on there. But yeah, you can like, like you said, Chris, look like anything. Like I saw like The Weeknd, like the musician, mm-hmm. <laughs> the artist. You can look like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, anime character, superhero, literally like whatever you want. So there's lots of personalization and like self-expression that you can sort of use. But it's available across basically like any platform, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, Xbox, PC, Mac, and then you know, Apple and um, Android devices. It also has a huge social media following on YouTube and Twitch. Oh, what the? Oh, bro, there ain't no way I just accidentally did this. I'm What'd stuck. I actually hit the wrong button and I can't leave. I'm in prison. Thank you. So people are live streaming their gameplay posting it for people to watch later on YouTube. There's a chat function so players can talk to each other. There are over 500 million registered users now and around 230 million active players each month. One thing I thought was interesting was that includes like celebrities, like people are like actively playing, talking about it, pro athletes play, musicians, which Chris, you were mentioning there was something with Eminem over like a weekend or two ago. What was that about? Yeah, it was, they had a beginning of their new like battle pass season events they do this sporadically whenever they kick off like a big new season or if they have things that are you know they want to push out there so they'll partner with artists to do what are essentially in-game concerts so they had an in-game concert with Eminem I tried to I tried to join it because I wanted to see what it was all about, but unfortunately, they, their servers were overloaded, yep. so they had a queue to actually wait to get in. When I was going to get in, I saw twenty five minutes. My ah, forget it. I'm not going to do it. I go on I go on Twitter. Sorry, X. I have to say X. Go on X. <laughs> the, um, I go on X and I see that people are waiting like two hours. They couldn't even get in there. And then the next day they they had it too and they they couldn't get in. But those that could get in said it was pretty cool, if not a bit short. My nephew was hot. Hot. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. It was was not good times in the Faison household because of the delay in the concert. (laughs) We had to decorate the Christmas tree and set up the train. And uh, the concert got delayed by four hours. Just, it was crazy. Yeah, I'm sure there were there were tears in certain certain households across the country because of it. <laughs> That's right, certain households. But yeah, it's it's obviously has stirred up a lot of like passion. Like people are so passionate about this game, and I. The reason I had even heard of it was like, I mean, obviously years ago, I was seeing on social media, like kids doing the dances, like the emotes from the game. I was like, what's the deal with Fortnite? So yeah, it's obviously so, so popular. And it's generated something like $26 billion since its launch six years ago. To me, what stands out about it is like it's free to play at first, at least. And as long as you're not buying, you know, the V-Bucks, there are tons of ways to engage outside of the game itself. There's lots of choice to players as far as like what their 
player looks like, how they act. You can chat with other players. So there's that social aspect. You can engage with, engage with other players on Twitch and YouTube. There are those live events that keep people waiting, like you guys were saying. And like I mentioned, they draw celebrities who are also players. And so Chris, I'm wondering, like, you were telling me a little bit about how you started playing. What, what to you is like special about this game? Like what really draws you in? Uh, you know, I had, I'd known about it since it launched. I, I was actually working at Hong Kong Esports in, in Hong Kong at the time, building out like a video game network in, in Asia. And it launched, but PUBG was the popular game and it didn't really gain any steam in Asia. It became more of a Western focused game, but I always kind of kept an, kept an eye on it. Let's now talk Fortnite, shall we? It's the newest video game craze spreading across fast among kids, college kids, even celebrities. And- but just never had the interest for like a battle royale. Like I, I preferred more like straight shooters or strategy games, you know, uh, more coaster game building. I, I like like the simulation type of stuff. But I was playing a lot of Halo and it just got really frustrating and, and toxic. And I needed a break because like you're sitting down and playing a game and you're just getting angry every sing- single time you're playing. Like it's like, all right, it's time to time to pull away and, and recognize when you're not enjoying something so much anymore. And Fortnite was free. I downloaded it, gave it a chance. I'm like, this is actually not too bad. Like, this is enjoyable. It's not just a kid's game. You know, there's people that are playing this across the board. I can see why there's the popular culture that's been built around it. Let's create Marvel references using Fortnite cosmetics. Using Captain America with Thor's hammer, you can recreate a scene from Endgame. And I got I got into it. Yeah, I started playing it a bit. It's not my main game, but it's fun. But the main key was my daughter. So my daughter's a gamer too. She plays a lot of Roblox. And Fortnite was good because it's more of a shared interest. You know, it's a little bit more advanced. So it's not like Roblox for me. Playing Roblox is not quite as fun. So we can get on our mics, you know, go into a world compete together and talk and have fun as like a daddy-daughter type of deal without having interaction with strangers. And it's a blast, right? Like, it's just been fun. So the majority of my playtime now is like with me and her teaming up. That's so cool. <laughs> I, I love that it's like, it really transcends like generations and you guys can do that together. It's super fun. Yeah, it's fun. That's like, it's good. we do the same thing with me and my nephew. We're all like, just go over on Friday nights and we'll stay up like my, my brother, my nephew and I and, and play Fortnite and my brother and I are, I'm horrible. My brother's pretty bad. And he's, <laughs> and then my nephew's ridiculous. And, and so what we'll do is, so he'll, he'll, he'll sit and mess around on playing a different game. And my brother and I will just like try to like maybe get some loot and not die for, to get it down to like, you know, 20 or so players. And then he takes over and he'll like do all the crazy stuff. So there's also a mode, Meredith, where you can go. So there's like teams. And then you can go like just you as a, with no team versus other people who are like teams of five. I think it's five. And so my my nephew loves to do that where he's just like lone wolfing it against teams of like five people. <laughs> it's five, right? I think. And and that's like his favorite. And like the other day, he's like he like wiped out like three different teams, like almost one or whatever. And we're just oh like, this is this is craziness. And it's just, I mean, like. I I'm definitely by no means a, a gamer at all, but I've a lot of my friends are, and so I've watched a lot of video games in my life. And um, Fortnite, one of the reasons I was excited about talking to today is like I think you can make an argument. It's it's like the most like engaging game ever made. It 
it's like actually the most addictive because the social component to it, the speed in which the rounds happen, if you're out, you're out for a little bit, but then you can go back in and do something else. It's just got this like built-in, just super fast pace and, and engagement. It's like 230 million people play a month. That is the most ridiculous number ever. That is mm-hmm. crazy. That is like not quite all of America playing every month this game. Like the numbers are staggering that mm-hmm. they do. And it's crazy that they've only made $26 billion. It seems like only like those are, that's a massive number. But you're like, I mean, things can ebb and flow and games come and go and all that sort of stuff. But the way that they've innovated, the way they've introduced pop culture, the thing I think is so fascinating that they do seasons of it, Mm -hmm. which I think is really unique and interesting that there's like, oh, a new season just dropped. From our first look at next season to everything coming to LEGO Fortnite, these are 25 updates leaked in chapter five. And what's in this season? And people debate about it and they talk about like, is this season better? What's the best season? And all these things. The concerts thing is absolutely wild. You know, like whatever, Facebook invested billions of dollars in the metaverse and it's like, dude, you want to see the metaverse? Like, it's happening. It's on Fortnite. People going to conferences. Same thing about eight months ago on on linkedin i said look the real metaverse is on Fortnite. like if you yeah. want to see what that looks like and and in actual like practicality there it is it exists it's not the metaverse on on the, on the quest it is 100 percent Fortnite. like it's there it exists so the same thing <laughs> yeah i mean like the same way that it was for us watching the finale of breaking bad is the same way that the younger generation is talking about, oh, I saw Marshmallow in concert on Fortnite. Yo, what is up, Fortnite? What's up, Pleasant Park? My name is Marshmallow, and thank you for coming out today and making history with me. You guys ready? Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's the same thing. Like they are having shared experiences on this game and like going to a virtual concert and all their little avatars like standing around like watching a concert of a digital musician. Like th- <laughs> like this is happening now. And and I gotta say, like as an adult watching it, like I don't find it lame at all. I don't I mean it's you know, like it's a it's a first person, you know, shooter type game. It's like it's it's not exactly rocket science. But uh I, I just think it's like one of the most spectacular you know, things ever made and the results are speak for themselves. And like the brand integrations and all that stuff just make the world fun and lived in and, and, you know, who knows what the future holds for it, but like, it's, it's pretty incredible. And, and obviously later on, we'll get into B2B takeaways, but it's just beyond remarkable for me. It's pretty, pretty, pretty darn incredible. Agreed. (laughs) So what do you think makes this a good, you know, good fodder for for b2b marketing here chris uh what do we start so i think one one of the things that that stands out to me about fortnite and thinking about it from a b2b perspective is when we look back at like 2017 and you know pubg was the big battle royale and fortnite was primarily focused on their pay-to-play model which was save the world and they hadn't even really 
you know, put much into the Battle Royale, but they saw that. They recognized in their competitor that there was a mode that they did not have that was very good and popular, and they, they understood that if they put that into their game and if they changed course, right, and just put it out as a free-to-play model and see how it, how it did, it, it was worth it. Right? Like it was worth it to take those resources and that effort and, and learn from what somebody else has done successfully, but and not just stick to their current plan as it was. While Fortnite offers a plethora of other game modes, the standard solo battle royale deathmatch is by far the most popular. They were flexible and they adapted and they put something out that was fun and engaging for a, a different audience, right? So PUBG. It's a little more hardcore, right? So you have like probably more of the 20, 20 year olds, you know, kind of, kind of that age group. But Fortnite could gear toward a much wider range of, of people. And they took that initiative, right? And I think if you think about content in, in B2B, that initiative can get lost sometimes because it, it tends to be more niche. You have a very like set group of people who you're potentially trying to, trying to reach. And competitors can get stagnant at times too. And, and then where's that innovation? You know, so if you if you see a competitor doing something, if you see an innovation even outside of of your small industry, like look at it, consider it, put some effort into it. Look at look at the resources that that it could take, and take a chance and and do an experiment. You know, but don't just kind of stay in that same path that you were initially looking to do. It, it, and this is coming from a B2C perspective as well, too, because I've done you know a lot of a lot of B2C in the past, and you're always kind of looking around for the next big thing. But I definitely feel like since I've been B2B, it's been more narrow, both you know from the sales AI perspective when I was at Gong and, and now in the production accounting space, because these I mean, they've been around for a while. These are things that have existed. It's harder to innovate, you know. So if you see that, like jump jump on it. There's no reason to to hold back. Another thing. For me, so a lot of my friends play Warzone, which so Meredith, if you don't know, so Call of Duty Warzone is a battle royale game that's basically like the adult version of Fortnite, essentially. Yeah, well, you think we so. actually get on mic though? Yeah, yeah, well, you yeah. get. <laughs> Touche. It is just a little <laughs> bit. It's it's the I shouldn't say adult. It is the PG thirteen or maybe R rated version of Forza, right. perhaps <laughs> that in which it is still all eleven year olds. But <laughs> one of the things that really struck me about this is like we talk a lot about category design and positioning and all that stuff, and this idea of battle royale is very much a category in which someone else started, they won, and then. Warzone also released in 2020. And then, you know, that took off like crazy. I don't know how many, we didn't do any research on, on Warzone, but I don't know how many like monthly active users that has, but it's a ton. And obviously Call of Duty is a franchise that's been around forever and, and is ridiculously possible for all their different brands. But the idea that this Battle Royale thing became a category and that somebody won it and the reasons why they won it and the execution, I think is like endlessly fascinating. And I don't know enough about what, makes you know the the difference between the games i do know that like for my friends or War, or fortnite is a little too childish and what's interesting is that they just released i think in the new fortnite season they did i believe it's the original map chris yeah, or something me, like that. yeah that's right 
That's yeah, right. so it's the original map. And so all of these older gamers, who are not actually old, they're like 20, are all nostalgic for this oh. original map, which is like what happens in video games. You get very nostalgic for the old stuff. And now, and then they all came back on to play this original map that they sort of like grew up playing. I'm sure you've all seen the news. The old Fortnite map is coming back in the beginning of November 2023. And like, to me, it's just like, man, this is, it invokes nostalgia. It invokes like you remember when a season came out and you played that thing and the fact that they're different and the fact that it's fresh and the fact that they add in these new skins and then they take them away and, and do all that stuff. And, you know, Darth Vader is in this season. Is he in next season? Like all of this stuff keeps it fun and engaging in a way that like Warzone is, is really not that way at all. Warzone is more just about, you know, getting on and playing the game. And, and it, what's interesting too is that the Epic Games is really good at understanding their audience and their potential audience that they don't have. Like the reason I got into Fortnite was because you know, I was playing Halo and it got toxic and I just got kind of tired of it. And Halo's a pure shooter. And Fortnite to me, I didn't want to get into because of the building aspect. So you, you have to build and survive at the same time. But then they released a new mode, build solo. And I don't game with other people typically. And so it basically targeted exactly me. You know, the, the person tired of, of this and here's this new mode just for you, like handed to me, you know, on a, on a platter that didn't exist before. So they, they captured me 100% with that mode. And they're really good at capturing these different audiences across the board in these different categories. And then these categories that they're, they're leaning into, you know, now they're leaning into survival with Lego, Lego Fortnite, which is essentially a Minecraft survival game within Fortnite. They're leaning into Rocket Racing, which is essentially Rocket League <laughs> combined with Mario Kart. In Fortnite, and they're pulling in all these people from different places. They have this platform that's built and flexible enough to build on top of it. You know, it's, it's quite... Brilliant, to be honest. Yeah, it is. And and the thing that I think is so, so cool to me about doing all of that stuff is a lot of times there are parent interactions or kid-to-kid interactions that are happening off game, right? That are happening in the living room. And so, like, when I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there with my brother and my nephew arguing about if he should spend his real human dollars on V-Bucks to get <laughs> the Predator skin, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, if you want to do this, you know, like we can ask grandma for like, you know, something for your birthday or we could do this, whatever. But you could have a real thing that you have in your room that's an actual thing or you can have a digital thing. Mm-hmm. And that might not be popular a week from now anymore. And mm-hmm. it's like, those sort of things are happening. Hey, did you get the this skin? Hey, did you do this other stuff? That's like all of these things that like are great about video games, but bring in the element of like the monetization piece that totally. is just fun. Like the monetization piece is literally just fun. It's there's, you don't feel bad at all. It's just like this fun element of it. And when you have all of these other crossovers to you, to, to, a, to the point that you said, it's in B2B marketing, like partner marketing is one of the best resources when it's done right. And it's 
pretty terrible when it's done wrong. And they wow. do their partnerships so incredibly well, except for when it breaks the servers. But like with celebrities, with uh, other IP, with other brands, like how much do you think the legal costs were when they were first like, I want to bring Darth Vader into Fortnite? Like, I can't even imagine, you know, Star Wars, like, even wanting to release that sort of thing. So it's just, those are the type of things that probably were a ton of work to set all that up. But then once the dominoes fall, then it's like thing after thing after thing. And it's super fresh. Yeah, I mean, well, they set a precedent, right? And they continue to set precedents successfully. And that makes it a lot easier to bring on new partners and bring in new people because they've built up that trust over since they've launched. You know, they launched a successful store. They continue to adapt. They continue to develop for it. You know, it's not like you're going into the same store every day. You're going in that you see new features all the time. You see new skins all the time. You see new game modes all the time. There are over 100 Fortnite crossover skins a day. Now, with the help of over 15,000 of you guys, we're ranking them worst to best, starting with Deathstroke. New partnerships all the time. So if you're like a, a Disney or a, a Marvel or you know whoever, and you see that, and you see these other things being successful in a platform where they're not getting slammed or negative negative publicity, makes it much easier. Then you start having people come to you for those partnerships because you've built that success and you've built that trust over the course of time. I think the element of customization and being seen, you know, exactly for who you are, I think is is so true to this that. There's so much customization. And we talk about personalization a lot in B2B marketing and how important it is of like the exact use case for the exact person that you're going to use it for, where it's like, oh, we have a million features, but like that's the one that I care about. And for each person, it's it's super different. But because it can be so personalized in a game that is so open and like not personalized, it just feels it feels a little bit different. And you feel like you, you know. You, you are getting exactly what you want if that's what you want. And like that part is one of the ultimate B2B lessons, right? Is like if you can make the, make the customer feel like they're getting exactly what they want and not all the features that they don't want, right? It's like, well, I don't want, I don't want to pay for that, that, and that, and that, and that. Those are nice stats, but I don't want to pay for that. Whereas like in Fortnite, you pay for exactly what you want and you don't pay for a single other thing and you can play for free for your whole life and never pay a single cent. Like that is, it's like, you know, the freemium freemium model on on super steroids. Totally. And and there's a difference between what you either think people want, what you want them to want, and then what they actually want at the same at the same time. You know, and this is another area where I see in B2B, like you put a ton of effort in building a new feature or something because maybe you've done some market research and you think that. Or would the results have come back and it's like, oh, people definitely want this. You know, this is something that that they're interested in. You build it, spend the time, you put it out there and it bombs. Right? Like for, for whatever reason, like it just doesn't resonate. It's hard for people to pull back from these sometimes because you put all that energy, all that effort into creating that product. And the people who are in, in charge sometimes like that's their baby. You know, you don't want to see it kind of just die in the vine. And it takes longer than it should to pull the plug. And the shift gears into something else, and, and this is something that I've I've seen as well too, where like 
sometimes, man, you just, you just got to be honest with yourself and, and with the product or the feature or whatever it is. Quickly, it doesn't work. We're shifting gears. You know, we're going to personalize around a different feature, around a different product or, or what have you, and, and put it in a different direction. And Fortnite is really, really good at that. They have like their save the world mode. It, it's not the most popular anymore. It's still kicking around, but they're not putting resources to it anymore. They're putting resources into Lego, into partnerships, into you know making the battle royale and the UI as good as it possibly could be. So what started off is like the big thing is, you know, it's just kind of there <laughs> for those who a, do want it. It's a quick pivot, for sure. It's a quick pivot. It's a really quick pivot. The startup mentality. Yeah. I mean, obviously in tech, there's all sorts of like, borrowing features, aka stealing features, and uh, rolling it out yourself. But something like Battle Royale, which again is more of the category like marketing automation or, you know, whatever it is, that if you can, if you can win, really, it boils down to customer experience, right? Like their customer experience is just the best. Then it works. The, the, like the store works. The gameplay is good. You know, like Mm -hmm. the product itself is something that is easier to push because it's compelling and it's interesting. And whether or not that's for a game or for a publisher's website or for a, a B2B product, like it's much easier when you have something that's solid that, that you can push out to. So it's hard to bullshit people. <laughs> you, you could be really good at content marketing and really good at like pushing narratives around things. But if the product itself can't back it up, like you're going to forever be chasing something, chasing a dream. Meredith, any other questions or thoughts on Fortnite? I was just thinking about it being like cartoony, you know, and like, if you find that that to be like a benefit or a drawback. Where a game like Modern uh, Warfare Warzone has its place not being cartoony for that subset of people, you know, Fortnite definitely has their set of people that it appeals to with cartoony. Then they do it really well, you know, and they've pulled in people like myself who traditionally wouldn't have gone for that kind of cartoony experience in a shooter, but it's just fun. It's just enjoyable to play. And it looks nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, very I mean, like vibrant, pretty. Yeah, it is. I mean, and it's it's just silly, right? It's like you know, having you know, eleven year olds, you know, <laughs> shooting each other's characters is a lot more palatable <laughs> when uh, when it's like predator versus like you know, a person with like rocket boots and all this silly stuff and crazy stuff. Like it's just it's not quite as as intense as as Warzone, which is modern warfare. <laughs> It, it creates moments for individuals, memorable moments where you go in and you're playing as alien and you come across Predator and you're reenacting suddenly alien versus Predator. Or you have you know Ariana Grande going up against Eminem and LeBron James. Like <laughs> Those are times when you're going to sit back and you're going to remember those moments. You know, and it's, it's brilliant because it's creating these cultural like personalized moments that you take with you even outside of the game. And if you can do that in content marketing where you can create moments for your audience, that's what's going to hook them. You're going to have that little seed planted in their in their in their brain that they're going to associate with your brand. And Fortnite is just really good with that. I did X and Fortnite. You know, Fortnite's always tied to that moment forever. Any other final thoughts here on Fortnite, Chris? Uh, I mean, it's it, it's a it's a fun game. It, it's it's an enjoyable game. Uh, I I enjoy playing games where I feel like I have that takeaway. You know, I, I like looking at Fortnite as kind of a 
a, a breather from the more serious stuff in life, you know, like you can sit down and, and knock out a game and, you know, turn your brain off from uh, whatever it is you're doing on a daily basis. And, you know, I, I think people, it, that resonates with people. Um, and you, that you don't always have to also push what it is that you're doing. This is, a, this is something, too, that I find in marketing is challenging, especially coming from a publisher background and publisher perspective, where we're not necessarily trying to push a brand, but then when you get into marketing, it's like a brand, your product, whatever it is, and, and it always comes out as promotional. And I see this more in B2B than I even see in B2C. It's like brand, 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 brand. But sometimes you can create content that is not necessarily well like remarkable your caspian studios you're doing remarkable remarkable on its own is a is a brand but you know i'm looking at you right now and you've got caspian behind you right you know like the yeah there it is right there these are the things that you can do that that like stick in people's minds and, and keep them coming back to things and i think with gaming and fortnite it's it does a wonderful job of that yeah, and I think it's it's really easy to sort of like surround yourself with the game. Like we have all the Fortnite Nerf guns, you know, that we've bought over in Christmas's past. And you know, there's a there's a study that came out that was basically like some of the happiest people or like like gamers are actually like very well adjusted. That like gaming is actually like net positive for your life, whereas like staring at your phone is like net negative for your life. Um, like yeah. It's actually enjoyable. And it just, you know, before we were thinking about this, I was thinking about like going over and watching my nephew play Fortnite and like playing with him versus like going and playing a board game like when we're on vacation or whatever. Like we went and played Monopoly. And it's so funny, like totally different utilities. But I'm like, we would not go play Monopoly probably on like Friday night. We would want to play Fortnite. But like mm. on vacation, we're all sitting around, you got nothing to do. And you're like, I could spend three hours playing Monopoly because you have the time. And so I think that the time aspect of it, getting a few games in, then going and doing your next thing, that there's this limited sort of thing and that it doesn't go on forever and ever and ever. You know, like my friends used to play uh, a lot of like online poker and you're like, hey, if you get stuck in a tournament and you're there for seven hours, like you just mm -hmm. ruined everyone's night, right? But you can't mm -hmm. do that with with Fortnite. And it's just, it's like the, you know, the 20 minute episodes of a TV show where it's like, yeah, I'll just watch one and you watch five, you know? Like that's just to me, like another great lesson of this whole thing is it is the easiest drinking, you know, video game you ever had. Right. It's just like, yeah, you go in and if we go far and you win one, it's not going to take your whole night. But if, if you don't, you know, you try it a bunch of times and hopefully you don't throw the controller anywhere. Only occasionally. <laughs> Sometimes. Obviously. So, you know, you have a, a massive content following on your career forward blog or your newsletter on, on LinkedIn. You think about content, you run content. What is your content strategy, Chris? For me personally, or for Greenslate, or for for, for Greenslate for coming into coming into the new role. Yeah. So, and anytime I come into a new position, especially the last two times with Greenslate and with Gong, it's a lot of assessment. It's a lot of seeing where where things are currently at and trying to build out frameworks for where I want them to be at, and establishing goals that are both ambitious and what I would consider attainable over the course of, you know, six months to maybe two years. So I'm, I'm kind of usually looking at, at that time space. Because if I look at 
you know, the startups that I've worked at, one of the things we'd always say, like, if you are not giving it two years to do something, then you're probably going to probably going to fail. Like you, you need enough runway to really affect any kind of change and, and have any kind of results. So if I'm looking at like building out LinkedIn with Greenslate, which is what I'm, I'm doing right now, I'm looking at it. Okay. Where am I going to be at? You know, in May of this next year compared to where I thought, you know, maybe we, we could go and I'm making those adjustments along the way. So I give myself a goal of where I'd like to see things, the audience I'd like to build the content that I think we should be producing for that page. And then I, I set that in motion. And I'm building the frameworks by doing things like project management. It's surprisingly not always present everywhere, you know, like the use of Asana and, and Jira and other project management tools. is You would think it would be more widespread at places, but, you know, in the cases where I've been, even working at LinkedIn, like, there was not a lot of like organizational behind the scenes other than using you know Google Docs and, and spreadsheets and stuff. So I I come in and I like okay what what are we doing to get things organized? You know what kind of processes do we have in place to be able to create content to scale up down the road? Because I can sit there and write stories and articles all day long, post on social. I'm doing a lot of that right now, but that is mm-hmm. not sustainable. You know if if I want to scale, if I want to really get this stuff up and going. I need to have that process in place. So I'm going to build the bones. I'm going to create a style guide. You know, like here's what we should sound like. Here's what we should be. I'm going to create the the process and put it in place. I'm going to look at the social aspect of things. I'm going to consider our our audience and our spend for social versus the resources that we have. Uh, so a lot of that initial strategy is around framework building in the first like probably six months to a year, really. You, you've been a managing editor, obviously, as you mentioned, at, at Gong and, and at LinkedIn and managing editorial. And mm. I'm curious, like, in this new world of content, what does, like, editorial even mean in today's day and age? I mean, we're doing it right now. We're doing a podcast and that's tied to Caspian Studios. This is essentially an editorial where we're talking about what we want to talk about. We're not drop. We're not name brand, you know, dropping per se. Like Caspian Studios is doing remarkable, right? Like this is ed- this is editorial. You have control over this, it, it, and it's a positive, net positive for your brand. And if I'm looking at editorial within the space of B two B, an audience is an audience. They see quality. They in, in content, regardless of what name is is tied to it. If it, if you're talking about a product, right? So I could create something within Greenslate or Gong or, or what have you, and have it not necessarily push exactly what that brand is, but as long as it's of value, as long as people look at it and they trust it, you know. So an example of this would be with the strikes that, that happened this year, big deal for the entertainment industry. Everybody's out of work, you know. Nobody's on any kind of productions. Um, everybody is interested in that news around the strike. What's happening? When's it going to end? What are the deal details? So we did that. <laughs> we mm-hmm. put stories and updates around it and not saying, sign up for Greenslate. You know, like, mm-hmm. Greenslate's the best. It's like, no, here, here's the thing that everybody cares about right now and the information that you're looking for. And the next time they come back to us, they're going to see, they're going to trust it because they know that we're putting out stuff that's valuable to them without it being a hard sell. So like when SAG after when they had the agreement for ending the actor strike, we did a whole big comprehensive thing where here's what it means, here's the key points, here's all the details, you know, and, and what's important. At the end, granted, we did say like 
Greenslade is going and supporting you know, production accountants, but there was enough there within it that was not pushing it that was valuable. It got ranked on Google you know, in the top 10. None of our competitors uh, had it anything anywhere near that in the time that we had it, which was like the next day. And you know, people clicked it. They trust it, you know. And I can I can leverage that. I can come back and say, hey, here's more great content, and they know it's from Greenslate. So editorial is huge. It's huge, and I think it's undervalued um, a lot of times. But it's getting better. I do think more people are recognizing the value of that hard editorial angle being tied to a brand. And do you think that, like, in in you sort of saying that right now, one of the things that struck me is, and I've I've said this. F- for years about content is like we've always, we've always we've always been you know yeoman to our to our content calendar mm-hmm. right where it's like we're obsessed with our content calendar or obsessed with trying to figure out what things go where and i think a lot of that comes from just wanting to plan stuff but also comes from like the magazine world and the publishing world where like you that's why the reason why you do that stuff is not that not because that's what the customer wanted it's because that's how you could sell advertising is like you have the spring issue is about you know motorbikes because you're selling the spring advertising in in fall and saying hey our motorbike issue like you got to make sure your ads are in there so anyways i digress but but the idea of like a lot of that stuff was not customer it was not use you know user centric whereas like a lot of media organizations are built around like being fast and being nimble and getting a story out right then responding in real time and obviously like getting scoops and you know different things like that but what's interesting about what you said uh, i don't know if you want to comment or not feel free yeah just just quickly i I think that's right the content calendar is both a boon and a crutch at the same time because the more that you start relying upon that content calendar like just only that you stop looking for opportunities as they pop up Right. So if, if I'm just looking at the content calendar and I have like a bunch of our green slate clients around awards, right? Like, okay, we know we're doing awards stuff. I put up three posts in the last two mm-hmm. days, you know, about like awards, you know, green slate client nominations. That's going to happen. But if say a trailer, trailer releases for one of our clients and it starts trending on Twitter and going crazy and people are talking about it, I better get something up in the hour in the next day because I'm, I want to leverage that. Why would I not leverage that popularity that I did? I can't plan for, you know, in a calendar. I just have to be aware of it and, and catch on to it. And I think you see a lot of the better brands and the stronger brands who are very good at this doing exactly that, right? Like they're just nailing that, that popular culture and they're on top of things, whether they're B2B or B2C. The Yankees, this is sports. It's a sports uh, organization, obviously, but Aaron Judge last year, not last year. Was it last year when he signed with the Yankees, they screwed up and they they had his name as Arson Judge when they when they tweeted it, and then this year on the anniversary, they said for the big new player that they got, they screwed up their name in, uh, on purpose. Oh, Juan Soto, they called him John J O N Soto on the same day, one year later after they called Arson Judge, and it went crazy, right? Like people just picked up on that, but that's that's smart. They're looking at their calendar. Mm-hmm. And they saw an opportunity as it was happening with a new signing, and they just absolutely nailed it. Yeah, it, it it's that editorial angle. What I've seen is you take an organization like The Athletic. Well, there's certain publications within The Athletic, like certain sports teams or whatever, like the Warriors, B-Writers, for example. They used to publish their podcast episode the day after the game. Mm. Then it turned into record the night before. 
then it's, hey, let's just go live right after the game. And it's like you see this like evolution of like quicker, 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 quicker. Yep. And then you see like like one of their soccer podcasts, they do one episode a week now and they don't yep. do it after games. And I think like that's a huge mistake, like a massive mistake. Most sports fans want to have that after after the game period where they're, you know, synthesizing with their favorite stuff. Like I think that stuff is a huge mistake. And so I think about that a lot with B2B content. It's like, what are the what are the things that you want to be able to respond to in real time. How do you build that muscle on your content team to respond quickly? And then how do you create instances where you want to talk about it? You get you get the synthesis out there like really quick. And most teams just aren't built that way, right? Like most marketing teams aren't built that way. Most content teams, they don't care about even being built that way. Yeah, it, it's it's true. And it, it's it's a challenge, to be honest, because there's kind of these institutionalized thoughts in marketing that are just not built around that that speed aspect. Because there's a lot of concern, and justifiably, there's a lot of concern about brand recognition and about you know protecting your brand and making sure you're not going to make a dr- dire mistake that's going to end you up 60, six feet under, right? So, so you have to find ways to overcome that and build trust internally. So if you're saying, okay, look, I want to do this around this topic in the next two months. If I see an opportunity, I want to go for it. I'm going to run it by you first. Do I have your buy-in to to do, try something like this? And you get that buy-in. You do it. You try it. It works. You're going to get more buy-in the next time. But you you, you have to you have to plan out that you're going to do this and not just do it and you know piss off the 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 president or whoever it is that you're reporting to. You do not want the CEO coming to you for like a disaster on you know uh, on on your branding. So if you if you set it up. You give warning, you kind of get clearance for that first one, build that trust. I, I've found that you do have more opportunity to leverage like that editorial mindset with what you do. You know, and that's what I'm I'm doing right now. It's been working pretty well. There's always challenges in in getting the stuff out there. Anytime there's something new, there's always going to be a hurdle. You have a lot of education that comes into it as well, too, where you have to bring in people and explain what it is that you're doing, why it's gonna work, or if it it's not going to work. Like, here's what you will learn. Like, we we tried it, it didn't work. Okay, here's what we're going to do next time. Yeah. So, and one of the things that 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 I was thinking about is with Fortnite, you have these seasons. So these they're big content calendar, right? And then you have you know these concerts. Those are big, you know, temple, huge, massive temple events, getting a lot of people on the platform. Yeah. And then you have all these other sort of, you know, things that are going on. And for us, one of the things like when we talk to someone and we're building a series for them, and they're like, well, we want it to fit perfectly in our content calendar. And you're like, well, this type of content isn't really like, content calendar type content. Like if your guest wants to come on and they want to talk about, I've used this example many times, but uh, we did an episode where about CIOs, how to get a uh, seat at a public board. And the person didn't want to do the episode because it didn't fit in the content calendar. And I was like, but this person tells us that everyone keeps asking them how to get seats on board. So like they really want to do this content. Like I think it's a really good idea. Mm. And it reminds me of, when it was like COVID and everyone was searching like COVID-related information or for the the strikes that you were talking about where everyone is like doing that. 
when you have that like concentration of information of like everyone wants this information sort of like right now and you want to be able to deliver that, that same stuff is happening <laughs> about all sorts of different things. For example, yep. how to get a seat at a public board. Now, yep. they're not going to be like hammering that into Google all the time and you're not going to be able to know that. But if you talk to some people like that are CIOs and you go, hey, what's next for your career? And they're like, I would love to be on a public board. You know, so then you sort of like get that information. And so I think that being able to build series into your content mix where the guests are bringing up the topics that they want to care about layered into your existing content calendar, like the big temple things that are thematic things that you want to talk about. And then a little bit of that like real-time feedback to things that are happening in the market to be able to have someone with a little bit of flexibility to be able to respond to those things, I feel like is is like you can smooth out those like peaks and valleys and 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 build something a little bit more more robust. For sure, for sure. And if you're thinking about <clears throat> from the editorial perspective, like when we would have news teams and editorial teams, it was built with that in mind. So you have like a certain amount of like evergreen content and things that you have in your content calendar, and then you set aside like X percentage for the things that are trending or the things that are the the topic of conversation. So like when you're talking about this podcast, if you have the editorial mindset and you have the content calendar, but you also have that 20% that's geared towards something that comes up that is interesting and could be compelling, then you can bucket it. Then it fits in. Right. And then it becomes easier to explain to whoever it is you have to explain to that yes, it doesn't fit in the content calendar, but this 20% it does. You know, so let's do it. Yeah. And when you have a series, this is like this is very self-serving, but but the idea of like when you have a series that you can then do an emergency podcast. You can then do things like that. And that's the stuff where it's like, hey, GA4 just came out. Google mm-hmm. and it, Google Analytics, everyone's talking about it. Let's just get on. We're going to get on this week and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to do a live show. Or like, and then and we're going to do a webinar about this because it's crazy and want to bring people in. So it's like if you if you if you build the systems in which you can bring those things in and say like, okay, now we're gonna we're gonna push all the episodes back and we're gonna do one on this. Like we did that with Barbie this year, where like Barbie was huge, so we wanted to make sure that we had a Barbie episode. Taylor Swift was huge. We want to make sure we had ta- Taylor Swift episode. Like, and cr- our guests wanted to talk about that stuff, and then we could move them sort of accordingly. So, and hopefully, everyone wants to listen to Fortnite. Right <laughs> hopefully, but but this is also true when it comes to building community. Mm. If 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 you can hit on these topics, like Fortnite has, they have an incredibly strong community. Obviously, with all the millions of players, but it's communities in the game it's communities for different games you know if you look at uh, gong where i used to work we had a community of salespeople built around data and original content you know at, at green slate i'm looking at how do we build a community of production accountants and finance professionals on topics that are interesting to them and engaging mm-hmm. to them you're not going to do that just around like a, a content calendar you have to be able to address those topics that are top of mind with them at any given moment and community is hugely important. These are the people who will go and defend your brand and back it, you know, it, it, till the end, right? So you, you have to be able to foster that. And creating relevant, timely, topical content is a phenomenal way to do that. Okay, Chris, before we get out of here, any other <laughs> thoughts on ROI content or strategy or, or tactics or, or even some of the cool stuff that you're working on at Greenslate? Newsletters are important. I'm going to go on a limb and say that. I think especially in B2B where you're trying to reach 
niche people. Email is still a thing. Newsletters are, are quite popular. It's the most direct way to reach a lot of people where they don't have to necessarily go and watch a video. And obviously, video and podcasts are, are great, but newsletters should not be forgotten, I don't think. Especially because you also have access to a lot of, if you've been around for a while, historical email addresses. So who are they? Create compelling content for them. You're going to get a high ROI, more likely than not, with a quality newsletter. Diversification of content across channels and making sure that it's personalized and not just the same thing across different channels. Hmm. B2B, B2C, it doesn't matter. You have to meet the audience where they are with the content that they want. You know, So if you're targeting Facebook, it better be geared toward Facebook and not just cross-posted. You can start with cross-posting if you just need to get out there and kind of get it going. But to truly focus on a specific audience, you have to be very targeted to that audience and that specific channel. And I still see companies making this mistake to this day, constantly, which is surprising, but not too surprising because resources are, are a thing, especially in the smaller smaller markets. Another thing I could probably say from a strategy perspective is patience. You know, patience pays off in the long run. Experimentation, don't be afraid to try new things and, and pay attention to the data. You know, it's, it's you can go with your gut, on stuff, but if you go with your gut and you keep going with your gut and it keeps failing, then you're probably not going to be long for this world at the company you're at. Support your failures with data. I failed with something recently where I tried putting a form on a post to get people to to access a webinar replay. It didn't work. Nobody filled out the form. It just it it didn't work. And it wasn't it's not the right time. The audience is not in the right place for that to work. And I Called that out, said this did not work. We're going to make this easily accessible next time. And when we get to a point where we're ready, where it makes sense, we'll look at shifting. So just you ha- keep that mentality of experimentation, trying new things, and acknowledging when they don't work and learning from it to go forward. I love it all. So good. Final question here, and you kind of just said all of it, but what's your best advice for head of content? Build a strong team of people who know more than you about different topics. Have freelancers and people who can contribute in ways that you cannot personally, right? This, for me, has been such a truth throughout my career because I've, I've been in so many different topics, so gaming, production, finance, banking, startups, technology, social media, gosh, all, all, all kinds of different stuff. I can't possibly know everything about every vertical. So... I would always have more success if I'm finding people who are specialized in that one thing. And if we're going to reference gaming, because we've been doing this the whole time, I, that's hugely important. Creating that network in, in Asia around games where I would have uh, somebody who played Overwatch would run the Overwatch channel. I wouldn't hire just one person to do Overwatch and Fortnite and PUBG. Like I hired a guy who would play that game all day long to talk about it to their audience. Mm-hmm. You, you know, make sure the people you bring in are specialized in the things that they do and maybe have one person who's kind of an overall generalist who can oversee and, and understand the frameworks and the basics behind formatting and structure and editing and, you know, the data side of things. That's probably the biggest thing. Your team matters so much in, in, in your success and in your company's success that the effort needs to go into hiring, finding, promoting, and retaining the right people. Chris, it has been awesome chatting with you. You can subscribe to his newsletter on LinkedIn. 
He's at Chris77. And you can go to greenslate.com to learn about one app that's better for uh, cast and crew and production accounting. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Oh, this is a great show. I'm, I'm happy I found the Remarkable Podcast. I look forward to going back through your archives and seeing what else has been talked about. Hopefully you'll get some more gaming stuff on here in the future as well, because there's a lot of gamers out there. And, and you know, we do, we do like getting attention for our gaming interests. So, I, yeah, we got, we got to do Assassin's Creed and we got to do uh, Red Dead for sure. So anyways, I love, love that stuff. And maybe we'll just th- do some old school ones too, throw in little uh oh and zelda breath of wild too we could do there's a lot of gaming ones. we'll have to bring it back you'll be our gaming correspondent always happy to awesome well thanks chris appreciate it sure thing good to be here take care well that's it for today i hope you got some good ideas for your b2b content thank you for listening to remarkable i'm ian Faison, ceo of caspian studios remarkable is created by the team at caspian studios B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.